so you can actually bleed sweat. And there's actually um, cases that that medical that the medical field has has come across of people sweating blood because they've been so uh, depressed and, and stressed, so much stress on their body and emotions. So it's actual a medical thing. Now, Jesus had asked that the cup be passed from him because he, he, he was so anguished at that time. What He, he already knew what was going to happen to him. He knew all the details. And it was going to be so hard that he wanted the cup, the cup to pass from him. Now, he said, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. And so he accepted it for what it was, and then Judas came and betrayed him. <clears throat> he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, by his wounds, we are healed. And that's the testimony. So I'm going to... I want to have Jerry come up and share her testimony because I believe that uh, our testimonies are such a powerful thing. Come on up here. Our testimonies are such a powerful thing. I want you guys to hear her testimony of how she came to know God and what God has done in her life and then who she is today. church from child, loved Jesus, loved the Lord, till I was about 17, 16, 17, I started to fall away, and um, I just, I just fell away, you know, the world sucked me in, I fell into, you know, just your normal peer pressure, just the normal stuff that goes on in the world, and, and uh, it was... In the story of the prodigal son, they talk about how the son went to the farthest ends of the earth. You know, like he went from the complete opposite side of, you know, like if it was the United States, you know, he went to Fiji, like the other side, you know, far away from people that knew him, and that's exactly what happened to me. I, I moved away as far away from my parents, my family, and anyone that knew me, and I just, I just fell into this, like, this world of like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and a little less rock and roll, a little bit more on the sex and the drugs. And um, yeah, it was just, it was a hard place to be in. I was just so hedonistic, and I gave myself an alternate name, and I went by an alternate ego, and, and I knew that if I changed my name, I didn't have to live under a name my parents gave me. I didn't have to live under a name that that I could be whoever I wanted to be. I could be what the world expected of me. I didn't have to, nobody knew me. Nobody knew Jerry. Nobody knew Jerry Lynn. They knew Cherry. They knew who she was because she was just like them. And, uh, and it was coming to, just at my wit's end, I was just as broken and alone and I ended up moving back home. I, you know, still lived the party lifestyle for about a year after that, and then, you know, God brought me back. But it wasn't too long after that that I fell away again a second time, a failed marriage, 
um, just just that sort of thing. And then um, I just, man, I love to drink. You know, it was just like I was partying. You know, just party girl. You know, and uh, it was a tough place to be in because you know it's. Vanessa said it best last week. She said, you know, I thought it was hot stuff because the world thought I was hot stuff and the devil thought I was hot stuff because I was going to the hottest place. And I just, I just, I just fell into it. I just, the world was just like, oh, but you're just so like this. You're on top. You're on top. You're on this, this apex. You know, people are looking up to you. Yeah, because I was a professional blowout. That's awesome. That's totally something to be proud of. And uh, it was just God, he just, his timing is so perfect. You know, it was finding a flyer on the ground. And just the right time, I was just in that place where I needed something more. I wasn't happy with my life. I forgot that I had a mean streak. And the more I drank, the more depressed I got. And the more depressed I got, the meaner I got to the people who were closest to me. And how many times was I drunk and I ran my mouth? And it hurt people. It broke people. It broke, like, my best friend. And it was so... It was an awful place to be in. And it was like, I came to, to Metro Praise October of 2010. And I just felt the Holy Spirit there. I felt Him move. And I was like, i got to come back. I just... It wasn't, that one time wasn't enough. Came back a couple weeks later, and God just broke my heart open. I was like, I have so much more than your life. I have so much more than this for you. Like, I created you with a plan and a purpose. You know, your parents, they love you. They never stop praying for you. They... They know that you're better than this. I know that you're better than this. And I came to a place of complete brokenness, and I just said, God, where I never surrendered before, I give it all to you. And I sat at the altars, and I wept, and I remember the song that was playing. It was like, I surrender all. I give it all to you. And I said, God, where I've never given everything, I give everything. I am poured out. I am broken. I am, I have everything I'm done at trying to live my own life. I'm done trying to do it my way. There's a passage in scripture where Jesus talks about a debt and how a man came to, to, if the man who came with a little debt and a man who came with a lot of debt came and gave, and gave it and they said, you know, the, the owner said, okay, I wipe your slate clean. I wipe your slate clean. He's like, which one? Which one do you think feels more of that forgiveness. The one that owed a little or the one that owed a lot. And it was like, I came, because he's talking about this woman who sat, she did nothing but wept on his feet and washed them. And she said, and he's like, you've been forgiven. And that's what he did to me. He just said, Jerry, you're forgiven. You don't, go, go in peace, go in love. And I can tell you from this point on, like from the day I gave everything, I haven't looked back. I haven't went back to my vomit. I haven't returned to my sin. I have been, and it was 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, he who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And that's what Christ did. He washed me clean. He made me white as snow. 
and he said, your past? I don't even know who you were. I don't even know that girl because all I know is the girl that you are now. You don't have to be her. You can be you and your past but has been erased and my, who I was, is in your place. Amen. So for his pain, I gained everything. too far from God that he can't reach you. The Bible talks about salvation and we see in the Old Testament of, of them using an illustration of God's arm being not too short to save. Not too short to reach out. No matter how far you are from God, he can always bring you back to him if you are willing. Amen. Rudy, can you share your testimony with us, please. Hi, y'all. Hi, Rudy. Um, um, I started coming to Metro Praise in September, so just start off there with me in this bubble. Let's go back a year before that. Yeah, about a year before that. I can't say that I never... That I never put God first because I did not put God first. Yeah, I could say that, sorry. <laughs> I honestly, it's it's unfortunate for me how I didn't know much about God, what Jesus did for me, because I went to a, a Catholic school from kindergarten all the way to sophomore year of high school. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean I should have paid attention, but I had a family that that someone put God first and I still fell from it. Cause, you know, at, there's a certain point where I just you know, knew that there was no God, or I thought there was no God, I became an atheist. From that point, I just lived my life. I mean, I had a girlfriend living with me at the age of 16, and, you know, we got prayed for, and I always remember that day where I got prayed for. It's people in the street that get people. Anyways, I'm still in this bubble. I'm still in this bubble where it's me, and I have to live for myself, whether I, I, I try to or not. I'm still in this bubble. And... About last summer, the gospel was, was, was being brought up to me and certain ideas about who God may be, the Word, the Bible. And I thought, okay, so even, even our government uses the Bible as a trustworthy thing. Why can't I trust it? So I, I started to, and, and I was curious, okay, if people have so much faith, I want some of that. I, want, I don't want to be in this bubble anymore. I want to be like them. So I began to seek God, and, and He knew my heart. You know, He could read hearts. He, he knew what, was, what I was feeling. He knew that I wanted to know Him. So He, he, he provided. He, he, I mean, a lot like Jerry's testimony, I found a flyer on the ground with my two friends who also attend His church. I found this flyer on the ground, and it was right outside my car door as I'm dropping them off at their apartment. I, I overlook it, and I just keep walking. My friend, she picks it up, and then and then we, we go more into research on what it is, and we go on the website. And it's a grand opening flyer for Wicker Park. Now, me, I didn't know anything about Metro Praise. We didn't know anything about Metro Praise, but I believe it was, it was an answer of prayer. I was praying for you, you know? And, and God knew my heart, and he, he said, here, if you want to get to know me, it's right there. So I come to Metro Praise, and it's like, I'm still in this bubble, but... God is rocking my life already. Like I come to the first service and just like Jerry's testimony, I walk in the door and I just feel happy. I feel joy. I feel peace. It says in First Peter chapter one 
to know that there's hope, to know that, that there's a purpose in your life. And soon I, I start surrendering to God, and then it's like I'm out of this bubble, and then imagine yourself just looking at like a sunset valley with the wind blowing. That's how I felt then, you know? It's just feel freedom. Like I don't have to be in this bubble anymore where this world has sin, sickness, and sorrows, you know? That you don't have to let that overcome your life, but but use just thank Jesus and use that sacrifice to just overcome it, you know? And ever since then, like, God's been rocking my life. I went to winter retreat, and he's just, you know, there, it's like, I just surrender everything. Like, I want you to use me for everything. I surrender to you. Like, just use my life. A month and a half later, I, I, I'm looking into SUM Bible College, and I'm thinking, you know, if this is a calling out of my life, then let me do it for you, you know? Whatever's for your glory, Lord, it's, it's and I feel like this is a calling on my life, and, and where I'm at now, it's it's not for myself. It's not about me anymore. It's not about my bubble, but it's that freedom in Christ. Amen. It's about His pain and my gain. Amen. If there's anybody, anybody that knew Rudy the most and what he was going through, Let my parents care. 
Let, let me be accepted where I go. Let me get rid of this, this harm that was in my way, the molestation and abuse. But because I was so young, I, I didn't understand something. But I learned it when I was 13 years old and I went to my first Christian youth group ever. And what I didn't understand at that moment as I was praying to God was that these people who had hurt me each had a free will of their own to choose to follow God or to choose to not to. Those people who were molesting me were not obeying the Bible. Those people who, my brother who beat me was not following the Bible. My parents who were drinking and neglecting me were not following the Bible. But in my ignorance and in my anger, I blamed God. And so what happened? I turned from this innocent person and I turned to a path of darkness. I turned to drinking. I turned to smoking. I lived in Chicago my whole life. My friends were gangbangers. My friends were drug dealers. Those became my friends. When I was 13 years old, those were my friends. Those were the people that accepted me. And I was looking for Jesus. I was looking for an answer, but I didn't know it was in Jesus anymore. So I began to turn to other places as I began to feel accepted by these things in the world. I turned to witchcraft just to mess around. I explored Buddhism. I went to all these different directions before I realized they were empty and didn't bring me what I was looking for. I, when I turned to witchcraft, I actually realized there was evil, and that made me realize that there had to be good. When that happened, when I was dabbling in all this stuff, it made me realize I need to turn around, and I need to turn around quick. In that same time of my life, some crazy-looking dude came up to me and my came up to my friend's porch, uh, where I would get high, and he he was gothic. Red spiky hair, crazy looking. And he was friends with my neighbors, and they were in a heavy metal band. I thought they were all Satanists, you know, because I didn't know anything about anything. And I'm like, all oh, these crazy Satanists. And he comes up to me, and he's like, Do you want to go to church? And I was like, What church do you go to? You go to some Satanist cult group? Like, you know, you go to some Satanist church. And I didn't tell him that, I was thinking that. But, uh, but then he was like, no, I go to a Christian church. And I was like, do they let you dress like that when you go to service? Yeah. And I was just like, whoa, I got to see this church. I got to see a place where they don't judge you. You know? And I was like, I got to see this. So I, I went. And I was already a rebellious teenager. Forget about that. I didn't even ask my parents to go to church. I just went ahead. And I went to this youth group. I rode with people I didn't know. I, was, I didn't care, you know. And I stayed out till 1 in the morning. My parents put a missing persons report on me. Yeah, because they thought I was like that or something. And when I came home, they were so mad at me. But I came back after that service, hearing the pastor preach and hearing about Jesus. And when I heard that pastor preach, and I heard him talk about Jesus and, and how what people do to us is the result of them following evil and not following Jesus, my life was starting to change in that moment. They said, if you want prayer, come to the front. Or, well, 
They used to do it like this. If you want prayer, raise your hand. Okay, one, one more step, stand up. Okay, one more step, come forward. And so just to get me out of my seat, and I was so afraid, but I came up for prayer, and they said, do you want to rededicate your life to Jesus? Do you want to give your life to Jesus? And I was like, yeah. And I began to cry because I realized I had turned my back on God. I had turned my back by blaming him, number one. Number two, by smoking and drinking and not caring about my life, cursing, hanging around with people, acting lewd, and then going to witchcraft and all those things. So many things. I was breaking so many commandments. I, I was completely against God's will. And so I accepted Jesus Christ in my life that day. That was in 2003. But I didn't have mentorship in my life until a year later. I didn't have people in my life that actually taught me the Bible, you know what I'm saying? Like, the people in the church didn't really take, you know, take initiative to teach us, you know, what was right. So it wasn't until a year later, when I went to a retreat at, a, at an awesome church in this city named Abundant Life World Outreach, I went to a retreat with that church, and that's when I encountered Jesus and His Holy Spirit. I encountered God for the first time, and it really... And, and I think the reason why was I came to a point of I was going to this youth group. I was, I was still empty. I was still depressed. I was suicidal. I was so jacked up still, and I was confused. I was like, I accepted you, Jesus. Okay, why am I so messed up? But then I realized at this retreat, I had not surrendered everything, my whole life, to Jesus. So I decided that during that retreat, I was like, you know what? I'm going to give my whole life to Jesus. I'm sick and tired of doing it my way. I'm sick and tired of living life my way because it's not bringing me to where I need to be. So I, I asked for prayer. I asked for all the prayer I could get. I asked for prayer from every single leader in that church. And I completely surrendered my life. During the worship time, I experienced God in a powerful way. And I was weeping for three hours straight. And God was showing me all the times in my life that he was still there for me. In those moments. From that day forward, I have never been the same. To this day now, since that was March of 2004, I believe, or 2005, I mix up the years. But it was from then till now that I've not been the same. Since that day, I haven't cursed in a wild storm. I haven't gone out drinking or smoking. I haven't, you know, I haven't, uh, how would you put it? I never had sex before marriage, so my husband's very blessed. <laughs> and you know but that was because of God his Holy Spirit guarded me you know what I'm saying and, and, and I want to encourage you because God can be pure and if you've messed up ever before God can make you pure again Amen. he can make you pure again he can make you new and he can keep you pure until you're married and, um, and since that day I've grown I've gone through ministry I've served in so many ministries and now here I am I'm a pastor because of God's glory. Amen. It was his pain for my gain. Yeah. Now, you've heard three people testify what God has done in their lives. Now it's your turn to build your testimony. I want to give you guys six things, okay? Let's go to Mark 14, 45-46. His pain, your gain. Mark 
14, 45 to 46. This is on Jesus' betrayal and arrest. Verse 45 says, Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. So here we have a disciple of Jesus betraying his own master, betraying his own teacher with the sign of a kiss on his cheek. Telling the guards, the one, the one whom I kiss is the one you should arrest. So Ju Judas went to Jesus, kissed him on his cheek, and then the men seized Jesus and arrested him. Has there ever been a time in your life where you're best friend or someone close to you, someone that you have put so much time into and so much effort to hang around with and someone gave them so much brotherly love and yet they go behind your back and, and you know, put a knife to your back, not literally, but you know, stab you in the back for something, betray you in some way, betray your confidence by, you know, telling your secrets to others. Let me tell you one thing, that Jesus knows that betrayal. He's familiar with that. He knows what you feel, what you felt in that moment. Two, they beat and spit on him. Verse 61, again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One, or the Son of God? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do you need why do you need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death, condemned Jesus. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. So here you have Jesus saying that he is the Son of Man. He's confessing, he's not backing down, he's not, he's not gonna lie about who he is. He said, I am. And then he gives the prophecy, which is kind of funny because after they, they spit on him and then struggle with the fist, they said, prophesy. And he already did. Yet that wasn't enough sign for them. That was not enough evidence for them. Has anyone ever done that to you? Ever, have you ever been hit in the nose before? I've been hit in the nose. It does not feel good. Right? Yeah. I mean, who, who likes to get in the nose, right? <laughs> they not only was he betrayed and then arrested for something that he did not do he was hit he was struck, he was spit at he was humiliated three they flogged him and sentenced him to, to be crucified verse, verse 12 of chapter 15 what shall I do then with the one who call, who you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him. Verse 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released uh, Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now, you know where we get the word excruciating from? That word means of the cross or from the cross. So we get that word excruciating from, from the, old, the old punishments of crucifixion. 
So when you say, oh, when you get in the stomach or in the nose, and you say it's excruciating, no, that's, that's not even it. Jesus was crucified. Now, Emily, can you bring up the board, please? Now, Jesus was flogged. Now, what flogging is, flogging is, is a beating, okay? It's a severe beating for punishment. Now, I want to illustrate to you guys the type of flogging that Jesus received. Now, Ellie's going to demonstrate the type of flogging that that Jesus received. This is called the cat o' nine tails. This is the thing that, that they use to, to flog criminals, punishment. Now, on the end of it are these steel balls with uh, steel thorns. And it's usually like a, like a whip. And what it does is it will tear through it, tear through your skin. Ellie, go ahead and demonstrate. Hold on. <laughs> First time that it hits, it's going to you know scrape the skin, maybe peel it off a little bit, and then the second time it's going to go even deeper, rip the skin away, and get into the muscles and the, and the tissue, and even the, and by the by the third time it's going to even get into the bone and even uh, sh uh, break the bone or rip the bone. Go ahead and hit a few more times. Now this is what our Lord Jesus Christ endured. Imagine, that was just six times. The Bible says that Jesus received 39 lashes. You know, prophesied in Isaiah, 39 stripes. And by his stripes we are healed. So Jesus endured this 39 times. Go ahead and hit it 33 more times. Okay. <laughs> you already passed out. So not only did you know did the guards you know get weary from it. Imagine what Jesus felt. Four, they mocked him with a purple robe and 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 crowned with thorns, beat and spit on him again. Verse sixteen. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. Now this is something similar to crown of thorns that they, they put on Jesus. Now, if you put it on your head, which I've tried to do earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried to do it earlier, I couldn't get it all the way on. But it's not so much to inflict pain 
as it is to humiliate. Because the Jews were bringing, the, the charge that the Jews were bringing against Jesus was that he made the claim to be the king of the Jews. And to them, that, that was blasphemy because only the Messiah, which they didn't believe Jesus to be, only the Messiah was going to be the king. But Jesus did not come in form in the, in the way that the Jews thought that the Messiah would come. They thought the Messiah was going to be a reigning king, you know, in, in splendor, in machismo, and in majesty. But yeah, Jesus came humble like a servant, washing his disciples' feet. They did not see Jesus as the Messiah, so they mocked him and humiliated him with a makeshift crown. They made him carry his 125-pound cross beam. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the school, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Now we have, now we have this uh, this big wooden beam here. I'm not sure if you you've seen it. Some of you can't see it from there, but it's really heavy. We got it from Menard, and it. It takes uh, two of us, sometimes three of us, to, to carry this, one on each end. Now, now this is what happens in Jesus' back. Imagine 39 stripes ripping away skin, uh, ripping away even some particles of the, of, of the bones in his back, his back laid bare, all the skin off, muscles torn up. Then him having a crown of thorns, and then him having this 125-pound uh, wooden beam on his back. If you've seen the Passion of Christ, you've seen something similar where he had to carry, he had to carry that thing himself until the guards had someone else help him. And he was barefoot, and the roads were gravel. So not only that, but trying to hold yourself up when things are pricking at your feet is a little harder to do. And then they crucified him. Verse 22, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Now the guards were trying to be a little bit gracious to Jesus by offering him some wine, some alcohol, you know, in order to ease the pain a little bit, but he didn't take it. How many of you would have taken it to ease the pain a little bit? Yeah. I think I probably would have, but Jesus did not want to because he knew it would have hindered that the sacrifice that he was making just a little, just a little bit. It's just like like sin that comes into our lives. The Bible says that that yeast infiltrates the whole the whole batch of dough. It gets in there. It's going to corrupt the whole badge. That's what, what sin is. And that's what this wine, that's what, how Jesus saw this wine being. That if he just allowed it to be a little bit more easy, Crucifixion here. If you, if you want to get up for this, 
where you can, but here's a replica of the nail that went through Jesus' wrists on the cross. Now, does anyone want, want to put your wrist here? So, no! <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> <laughs> science, when there's a doctor that has, has studied the crucifixion and has looked at the crucifixion in, in medical perspective, and he, he says that you know, as the nail goes through the wrist, it didn't, didn't really go through, it didn't go through bone or anything, but the, the way that the person died on the cross was not from loss of blood, was not from excruciating pain, but was from suffocation. So Jesus suffocated. Because when your arms are tied up like this, your feet like this, it constricts your your diaphragm, allowing you not allowing you to breathe. So what what you had to do was you you had to lift yourself up a little bit which eased the pain around your wrists and it allowed you to breathe. But with also nails in your feet, with nails in your feet as well, it was kind of hard to, uh, to lift yourself up. So you lift yourself up, taking a deep breath, and then because of the pain in, in your feet and in your ankles, you have to let go again. Now there's strain on your wrist, pains in your, in your wrist even more. Now you can't breathe again. And then that, that whole process first uh, the capillaries in the lungs, allowing fluid and, and blood in the, in the lungs, and made, it, made breathing even harder. And then six hours after being nailed to the cross, Jesus died. The sky went black. Father God looked away from the Son. The Holy God, the Holy God cannot look on, on evil. And but right before Jesus died, he said, it's finished. Those are some powerful words for us today. Some powerful words for you. That your testimony is finished. And what Jesus has done for you. The Bible said, without, there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Now, everything that Jesus went through from the Garden of Gethsemane, when he, when he did not pass up the cup of wrath that was meant for us, that's one thing that you need to realize is that, that that cup represented God's wrath and it was for us to drink, not for Jesus. But Jesus stepped in as Savior to drink that cup for us. From him shedding blood in an anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane to being flogged, to being humiliated with the crown of thorns, to being crucified, to him shedding his blood was all for us. 
was all so that we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. John 3.16, the most well-known Bible verse in the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen. Amen. Now my altar workers are going to come. And we are going to, to take communion. And we use this time of communion so that we can all begin that atmosphere of prayer and to remember what Jesus did. Because not only is today Easter, which we which we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. church we do it every month where you can you can do it daily <coughs> I reflect on Jesus sacrifice daily now I don't use the, the, the juice and bread all the time but I remember in my heart in my mind in my spirit what Jesus has done let me read Isaiah 53 1 to 5 the prophecy read about a thousand years before Jesus was born, it says, Isaiah 53, verse 1, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. 53, 6-7, 9-11 we, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each, each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, though he had not, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servants will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Jesus was rejected so you could be accepted. He was punished so you could prosper. He was badly hurt so you can be healed. He was humiliated so you can be honored. 
He carried the cross so you could go free. He was crucified so you can be forgiven. He died so you can live. Amen. He has risen.
said, he, he took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take a knee and do some remembrance of me always. So let's remember his body being broken for us. Flogged with 39 whips. Crucified, beaten, humiliated before others. Let's remember his body today. to come up for prayer. Now, whatever you need prayer for, whether it be to accept Jesus, to get saved, whether it be any type of sickness in your body, or any type of emotional hurt, whatever it might be, even, even for a family member, come up and receive prayer. There is power in the name 